It is not impossible to end a housing shortage. Eyes on Oahu, I'm Sarah Doyle. This is episode nine, Foreign Buyer Ban. I spoke with Senator Stanley Tang this week about Bill 3110. You may have heard of it, you may not. What it proposes is to restrict uh, purchases of property by foreign buyers. So this would be quite massive. It has passed the Senate and it's waiting to go to House for the vote, which is in indefinite recess. So we'll see what happens. But it was really great uh, uh, talking to Senator Chang. He really cleared up a few issues about the bill, that, uh, some questions that I had and other people had. And he addresses also what he would like to do about the housing shortage in Hawaii and the affordability crisis. So thanks for listening. I hope you had a very happy Easter and that you're staying safe. Mwah. Hi, Sarah. How's it going? All right, thanks. Hope you're staying safe and healthy. Yes, I am. And you? Yeah, doing our best. Yeah. Hunker down. Crazy times. I'm so, I'm, thank you so much for um, allowing me to talk to you about um, 3110. Uh, why don't we just get started? Um, can, can I just, um, just get you to tell me a little about yourself? My name is Stanley Chang. I was born and raised here in Wailai Kahala in the district that I now represent in the state Senate. Um, I went to Waikala Preschool, Kahala Elementary, Iolani for middle and high school, went off to college and law school on the mainland, came back, practiced law at a law firm downtown, and then ran for the city council back in the 2010 election where I served one term. Um, I ran for Congress in 2014, did not make it, and then ran for the state Senate in 2016, where I am currently serving. Awesome. Wow, that's great. Kahala. So um, that's interesting to me. For, you know, my, my questions about Kahala and Jen Shiro um, Kawamoto. Um, but let's um, start just by telling me a little bit about Bill 3110. Sure. So Bill 3110, um, Senate Bill 3110, um, is a bill that was introduced by Senator Kurt Favela, who represents the EVA district and the Senate's only Republican. And it seeks to restrict um, home ownership in Hawaii by non-Americans, by foreigners, basically. And um, it um, has passed the state Senate. Um, it is currently before the state house. But because the legislature is in recess indefinitely until this pandemic, I guess, is over, um, it's unclear what happens next. I see. So when were you going to be voting on it in the House? So we don't know because yeah. the legislature is basically in suspended animation right now. Right. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So then that would change the dates on it because that would go into effect, banning foreigners from anything older than five years, you know, um, old, right? Um, that, that, I think the bill states it would go into effect in July, but I guess would be holding off on that to see what happens. Right. So, you know, um, the, the bill is, I would say, less than halfway through the legislative process. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to, when a bill is introduced, it has to be heard in committee in its initial chamber, um, and then passed from that chamber to the next chamber, where, which has to hold hearings on it, vote on it, and then um, typically at that point, the bill has two different versions in both the House and the Senate. Then it would have to go to a conference committee to come out with a 
a version that both chambers could agree upon and then send to the governor. So it's only passed that first uh, chamber, the Senate. Uh, okay. um, the House has not taken action on it as far as I'm aware, such as scheduling it for a hearing. Got it. Okay. All right. Um, and were you one of the authors of the bill? Um, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> it was Senator Favela's bill, and I may mm-hmm. have signed it, but I mm-hmm. don't remember. Okay. Um, and so do you know, was it modeled on another state or another country? Um, I don't know if it was modeled on any other state, but we um, have done some um, research and there are a number of states in the country that do restrict ownership by non-Americans, including Iowa, Kentucky, Minnesota, Nebraska, North Dakota, and Oklahoma. So there Mm -hmm. are laws that are comparable Mm -hmm. um, in other jurisdictions. Okay. So um, I I guess one comment I've I've heard a few times is that this – this is just going to benefit Californians who, who make up quite a, a big, a large percentage of out-of-state buyers. So, um, I mean, the stats that title guarantee give for foreigners buying in Hawaii is less than 3%. Um, and then a third of, of, of those foreign buyers are buying above $1 million. So, I mean, is this not just going to um, – I mean, no, I, I guess the point is to promote affordable housing, but – is this just not going to open it up more for Californians to invest in those same pr- pr- properties? Well, um, you know, Sarah, well, let, let's take a step back. Okay. So um, as chair of the housing committee, it's my job, a job that I take very seriously to <laughs> end the housing shortage in Hawaii. And that is a very tall order. People have asked me what the principal barrier is to some of the proposals that I've raised, such as the Aloha Homes Plan, which mm-hmm. I'd be happy to talk about more later. Yeah. And I think the single biggest obstacle is not necessarily any interest group or any you know policy belief or whatever. It's simply the pervasive attitude in the community that we will never end our housing shortage. It comes from God. Right. You know? Hawaii will inevitably have a housing shortage. Okay. And I personally, you know, I I think that's nonsense. A number of jurisdictions in the world have solved housing shortages, including small islands, Mm -hmm. such as Singapore, including very highly desirable tourist destinations like Vienna, Mm. um, including jurisdictions that have experienced rapid economic growth right here in this country, like Houston. Mm. So, it is not it is not impossible to end a housing shortage right right um, now if if we go back to the sort of the widespread community sentiment in Hawaii, I mm-hmm. think you'll find that one of the other most sort of fundamental beliefs underlying the way that most people in Hawaii view housing is that if only we kicked out all the outsiders, right? all the mainlanders with vacation homes, mm-hmm. all the homeless people on one-way tickets, all the wealthy overseas investors, all the crazy rich Asians, all the Micronesians, <laughs> um, if we simply kicked them all out, we would have abundant, affordable housing for everyone. Mm. And I think what you're getting at is that that is fundamentally untrue. Mm. Right? So, no, I mean, what, one what, part, some people don't think it's gone 
far enough. Most people I talk to because I'm in real estate, you know, think it's it's too far or ridiculous. But, uh, you know, other people who are in support of that do see the problem of, yeah, of mainland investors. Yeah, and so that, like, re the reality of this being about making housing affordable, I mean, you bring up Singapore, but, I mean, uh, and, yeah, we'll talk about your Aloha bill, but they, they've done that mostly on having sort of leaseholds, right, not um, – or, or has it been because they've been kicking out foreign buyers? So, well, we can get into Singapore a little bit more um, if you want to. But basically, they have two types of housing. They have public housing and private housing. And 82% of the population lives in public housing. Mm. But to do so, you have to be a Singapore citizen or permanent resident. Mm. And the public housing market is very affordable, you know, attractive, well-maintained. And like I said, 82% of the population lives in it. So it's, it's the default option for most Singaporeans. Mm. Um, in the private market, which is open to foreigners, but is also heavily taxed, and there are a number of restrictions on foreigners buying in the um, private market, mm. those prices are very expensive mm. at, you know, at or above Hawaii levels. Mm -hmm. So um, what they've done is they've created basically a system where they have public school and private school. Got it. Yeah. They have a system that's very affordable, that's available to everybody. Yeah. Uh, all their local people, I should say. And then they have a private system that's very expensive and available to foreigners and right. very rich. Mm. So in Hawaii, the problem is we don't have public school. We only have private school, mm. so to speak, in the housing market. Yeah. So, but creating that um, divide um, for just foreigners um, to be able to purchase new bills rather than, say, like a Singapore model would be, you can only purchase expensive housing. <laughs> why, why, is it, why is the divide at new builds or five-year-old five properties? Uh, you mean in SB 3110? Yes. So, you know, that, that provision is not I, – I didn't – write that provision. Oh, okay. um, that's from Senator Favela. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess what I should also say about SB 3110 is, mm. I don't, uh, you know, is it the answer to our housing problems? No, it's mm -hmm. not. Um, is it a measure that I think really gets to the heart of a lot of local people's anxieties about the housing market? I think it is. But is it, if it's a measure that, you know, um, is about their anxiety, it, it, it's not, but isn't actually solving anything. Why, you know, why, why are we doing it? Why are we putting it forward? Well, I think it's because we live in a representative democracy mm. where, you know, the job of our elected representatives is to represent the people. Mm. And, you know, um, I, I have a number of proposals that would actually end the housing shortage. Mm. Um, of which the Aloha proposal is only one. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that most people um, want to throw the outsiders out. Yes. That's that's the reality of of the majority of the people of Hawaii. Yes. Yeah. And I I don't think it's you know fair to talk about some of these other proposals that would actually solve the housing shortage that might be mm. quite controversial without giving some um, conversation without mm. at least you know providing vehicles and vehicles for discussion for those who really do believe that the outsiders are you know the problem and the only problem. Yeah.
Do you think, um, like, could you talk about Genshiro Kawamoto for, for any listeners who don't know about this? Um, because I, mean, I wonder if a lot of the anxiety has, has really come from that, th- those series of events, you know, when, when it's less than 3%. Are buyers? I, I, yeah, I don't think that's um, people. Maybe even realize that, you know. Yeah. So Genshiro Kawamoto was a Japanese businessman, um, wealthy real estate developer based in Tokyo, and um, back during the eighties and nineties, he really, you know, was a very prominent symbol of the wealthy foreign investors. You know, the crazy rich Asians who were willing to pay whatever it took you know, to buy choice residential parcels in Hawaii. And so, you know, one of the stories about him is that he would um, drive around neighborhoods like Kahala, like Portlock in his limousine, and he would stop at houses that he wanted and he would make people, you know, just multi-million dollar, just outlandish offers far above the, you know, the the market price of the home um, in cash to purchase people's homes. Wow. And up until the 2010s, he actually held dozens of properties in Kahala. Mm. Um, 27. A lot of them, <laughs> like a lot. Yeah. Right. They, he maintained them very poorly. Um, the neighbors were very concerned because this was, you know, causing vermin, you know, squatting, crime, eroding people's property values. And it became a big issue until he eventually had some legal problems and I think went to went to jail, if I'm not mistaken, in Japan. And he had, he eventually sold his Hawaii portfolio. And so um, a lot of those market, uh, a lot of those homes have since been resold. Mm-hmm. But at a, at a certain point, he, he gave some low income people, those houses to live in rent free. Is that correct? I believe there were two families who were living in two of the properties and um, you know, nobody had any problem with that at the time. Mm. Um, the problem was with the vacant homes that were not being maintained. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, um, Paul Brubaker, the economist, um, he, he calls the bill xenophobic. And I mean, from what you're talking about this, this sort of anxiety that, um, people of Hawaii feel, that, you know, um, foreigners are, are perhaps taking the houses. Do you, I mean, do you, how do you respond to that? to that claim? You know, I mean, I think he's describing, you know, the anxieties of the people of Hawaii. Mm. And it's, it's been, I can tell you, Sarah, it's been a very uphill battle trying mm. to overcome some of these deeply ingrained beliefs mm. um, and, and talk about solutions that would actually solve the problem. I mean, let me, let me give you a concrete, you know, some concrete numbers. So, you know, let, let's, let's, you know, let's forget about all the outsiders, all mm-hmm. the people who are coming into Hawaii from elsewhere, mm-hmm. from both the mainland and overseas. All right. So just within Hawaii, we have roughly 18,000 babies born every year. These are local people. Mm-hmm. Okay. These are not outsiders. They're born here. Right. And they're going to be raised here. Mm-hmm. Every year we have 10,000 local people who die. Okay. So that means there are 8,000 new local people every year. Mm. Okay. So even if we make the unrealistic assumption that all of them will marry each other and stay married to each other, that means there are 4,000 new households a year Mm. that will need housing. And it turns out that we produce only on the order of about 2,000 units per year statewide. Mm. So even if we forget 
all outside demand. Even if we were able to build Trump's wall around Hawaii and yeah. keep out all the outsiders, mm. okay, we would still not even come close to fulfilling the demand just from local people having babies, starting families, raising kids um, in the way that we have, you know, generation after generation in this community. So my point that I'm trying to, what's been very difficult to sort of get people to focus on is, look, we have a fundamental issue with supply. The issue is not with demand, it's with supply. But if, you know, you and if, you know, if you, the community, are just so fixated on demand, Mm. i.e. cutting the demand of wealthy foreign investors, I do think that it is our responsibility as the elected officials to at least provide a forum for dialogue through the hearings Mm. in the legislature to um, give a public policy alternative um, a voice, an issue mm. for for that really deeply held concern. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I I think we need to I we need to talk about the whole every dimension of this issue, every dimension yes. of this shortage. So it sounds like to me you're saying uh, you know the, the, maybe the reason why you're pro thirty one ten is to open up a dialogue because well, it, I mean I'm not putting maybe I'm putting words in your mouth but you're you're agreeing with me that this. This would just be a drop in the bucket to the problem, but at least it, it's allowing a platform to go to to go deeper to really address the supply and demand issue. Is that right? Or yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in favor of having a conversation on the yeah. concept. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think that this is the answer to ending our housing shortage. Got it. Okay, I see. Um, so, and were you involved in Bill eighty nine, the short term vacation rental policing? Uh, I was not. That was at the city council. Okay. And um, when I was on, actually, when I was on the city council from 2011 yeah. to 2015, there were a number of vacation rental bills, mm. um, but none of them, none of them passed. Right. Um, so I, it's, it's just, I guess the timing of this bill is interesting, um, problematic, I would say, um, simply because you're, we're already going to see um, foreign investment move away from from housing market in Hawaii, in Hawaii, especially Oahu, because of Bill 89, that you're just not getting the incentive anymore. And now off the on the heels of that, we've got Bill 3110. And then, of course, we've got the, the meltdown of the economy with COVID, you know, with coronavirus. So, I mean, I don't know. Do you, what do you have to say about all that? Yeah, you know, so um, I... Again, you know, I think the people of Hawaii who have lived with a housing shortage for such a long time, mm. I think, are kind of of two minds about this. You know, mm-hmm. one is actually they want to see housing prices come down because the reality is that eight, 789000 or 824000 or wherever the median home price is today mm. in Oahu, the reality is that most local people will never be able to buy a home. Mm. Yeah. I, I was born and raised in Kahala. My father was a university professor at UH and he was able to buy a house, mm. um, you know, coming here as an immigrant with nothing. Mm. I, with all the advantages of having been born and raised and educated here, mm. I don't know that I will ever be able to buy a home. Mm. So there's that. Yeah. On the other hand, I will tell you, I have having knocked on 35,000 doors here in the East Honolulu district that I represent. Mm. I tell people there are two kinds of people. There are voters and there are renters. Yeah. <laughs> basically all voter all homeowners vote and basically no renters vote. Mm. So when home prices go up, when housing supply is restricted as we have a heavily restricted housing supply 
supply today, that is directly putting money into the pockets of the vast majority of voters of Hawaii. Mm. Okay. So it's it's kind of a it's it's you know it's it's a situation here where we have both ends of the spectrum. You know, I think that there are people who want to buy property like myself who are cheering for prices to go down, but mm. then most voters don't want property prices to go down. And you don't think 3110 is going to drop prices. I think it might have a localized effect mm. um, in certain very specific places mm. and developments, for instance, like, you know, yeah, well, maybe, well, I don't know how many foreign buyers there are in Waikiki. I mean, I can tell you that there are a lot of non-resident buyers in my neighborhood of Kahala. Right. Um, yes. You know, there are foreign buyers, overseas buyers in places like Ko'olina, you know, um, but the foreign buyers Kaka'aka. in Kahala are buying, you know, a million, a million point five, you know, so again, we're, we're going back to, you know, how this is going to help <laughs> housing be affordable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, you know, I, I don't know where you stand on this issue, Sarah, but if you, if you are in favor of, you know, removing restrictions like this against foreign buyers mm. or vacation yeah. rentals, you know, I would really encourage you to make your voice heard because mm. I think, you know, I, I think that outside of the real estate industry, mm. you know, if we were to just, just pull the people of Hawaii, I, yeah. I think that the, the bill, you know, the perspective that it's all the foreigners fault yeah. is very widely held. Yeah. And, um, I, 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 you know, the reason why I think it's an important conversation to have is because my, my solutions to the housing shortage, they focus on supply. Yeah. Building more supply. Yes. And I can tell you the first question that I always get asked is, well, if we just build a bunch more units, wealthy overseas investors are just going to buy them. Yeah, which this bill is actually encouraging. Because, well, you know, with I guess you didn't know about that part of it, but yes, that it would just be new builds they could buy. So you'll have a lot of dark properties, more dark properties in Kaka'ako, I presume, and just prices dropping probably in Waikiki for more of the, you know, affordable condos that foreigners were investing in before. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't, um, I don't know if encourage is the right word. I mean, mm. in the bill that I've proposed, mm. um, you know, you have to be an owner occupant. So to buy one of these units that I would be one of the Aloha homes. Well, so, I would, I, why don't we talk about the Aloha homes? I mean, I watched your YouTube video and it, it, it feels really, um, awesome. Um, and it, maybe it's just too revolutionary <laughs> for, for some people to get their head around such a thing. But, um, why don't, why don't you talk to me about what you're proposing. Sure. Well, yeah, thanks. I mean, it's a, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but, you know, basically, like I said, we're trying to build enough supply to meet the demand at, at the very least, the demand of local people. Mm. Okay. I think we can all agree that local people should be able to afford a place here. Yeah. Um, and every generation of local people. And so that, that means, Sarah, the production of thousands, of tens of thousands, doubling, tripling, mm. quadrupling the production in Hawaii. Okay. And then if you add on top of the latent demand, which, by the way, I don't think we have any good estimates of. Um, if you add on top of that latent demand, all the local people who have moved to the mainland or overseas, I mean, we're talking about a truly vast number of people mm. to build housing for. Mm. You know, and we don't have good 
records on that either. But, you know, there are now, for instance, more native Hawaiians living on the mainland than there are in Hawaii. Really? Okay. So, but this is an interesting um, definition. When you say local people, are you talking about native Hawaiians or are you talking about, you know, um, what, what uh, residents and, and, you know, what constitutes a resident? Is that, you know, having an address or, you know, a local ID or... Well, that's a, you know, that's a whole nother topic that I would love to, you know, it's a very complex topic in Hawaii. Um, mm. And, you know, there's a racial component to it. Yeah. Um, speaking of that xenophobia comment, um, the, you know, and I, I'd love to get into that later. But, you know, f- just suffice to say that, you know, someone who was raised in Hawaii, I think most people in Hawaii would say is is local. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, we're talking about housing on a scale of tens of thousands, mm. right? I mean, the, there was a DBED study, a state study that showed that between 2015 and 2025, the demand would be 65,000 units. And I think that's mm. only a starting point. Wow. Okay. So if we're talking about 65,000 units, um, that is a level of new development that I think it, you know, and it, it create, would create a lot of anxiety on the, on, you know, if, if you were the typical Hawaii voter, you might say, Stanley, 65,000 units. That's a lot of development, Mm. right? And so um, you would have understandably a lot of concerns. So, you know, your concern might be, well, we just don't have that much land in Hawaii to keep building subdivisions like Hawaii Kai. Right. And my response would be, okay, so we're going to build condo towers, high-density condo towers on... Um, existing state-owned lands near rail stations. Mm. So not one inch of agricultural, not one inch of conservation or otherwise undeveloped land. Mm-hmm. Okay. You might say, well, Stanley, all you know, all these units are just going to be snapped up by wealthy overseas investors like mm. Inshiro Kawamoto. And my response would be, okay, well, every single one of these units mm. has to be purchased by an owner-occupant only. You, ha- you would have to be a Hawaii resident, owner-occupant, and own no other real property. Mm. Has that been done before? Are you modeling this off some, some another state or I mean it seems like a great idea. Yeah, actually most of the restricted units um that already exist under existing inclusionary zoning programs in Kaka'ako, you know, some of those new towers yeah. are restricted to Hawaii residents, owner occupants and own no other real property. Are you talking about the reserve housing? Correct. Got it. Right. So you, this would just be bulk reserve housing. Is that right? No. 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 So um, another, you know, question that you might have about whether it's about reserved housing or existing public housing or subsidized housing is, wait a minute, you know, I work hard for my job, right? And I don't have a lot of money to be paying in extra taxes to pay for these subsidized units. And I would say, well, all right, we're not going to subsidize these units. There's no subsidy whatsoever. There's no subsidy from the taxpayer, right? No taxpayer dollars at all. And also no cross subsidy. Which means, like the reserved housing in Kaka'ako, there are certain market-priced units, like your YAA multi-million dollar penthouse, mm. is cross-subsidizing the reserved unit in Kikilohana. You're right. Absolutely none of that. I don't want any of that either. Every unit is going to be priced at its cost. You are going to pay for wow. what you get and get what you pay for, every single unit. Wow. So but government housing, essentially? Or, but, or this is, but you're, you're setting up as leasehold. It is leasehold, so that would be 99 99 years, right? Okay, right, which is enough to take the initial buyer to the end of their natural life. Yeah, right. So a number of other, you know, 
for instance, in Hawaii, we used to have a lot of 55-year leasehold property yeah. um, that Bishop Estate sold. And, you know, one of the big problems with that was that your initial buyer had a good chance of outliving a 55-year lease, right? Mm, yes. And, you know, if you're 30 years old, a young couple, and you buy a home, and 55 years later, you're 85, I yeah. mean, the last thing you'd want to do is to be forced out onto the street yeah. because of the expiration of your lease, right? Mm. So 99 years, you have the rock-solid, absolutely, you know, you can be absolutely sure that you will never outlive your lease. You can live, you will never have to move again before you die, which is a sense of security that I think most people are really seeking when they yes. want ownership. And But you can sell it if you, if you would like. Correct. Yeah. So like those Bishop Estate leases, like many other leasehold properties, like the ones in Singapore, um, you could you could buy it, sell it, trade it, mortgage it like any other um, property interest, like mm. a fee simple unit. Mm. Um, and so in Singapore, these units do appreciate with the market. Um, we visited uh, with a delegation last year a famous development called the Pinnacle of Duxton, where initial units that were selling at two hundred fifty thousand U.S. dollars on wow. this, you know, with the ninety-nine year lease, mm. um, are now trading for over one million dollars. Oh wow! So they do appreciate in value, just like fee simple property. Right, but I mean leasehold. Yeah, they, I mean one of the problems is you know the anxiety around leaseholds that it's still a dirty word. People don't like it. <laughs> That's true. Um, the The market for leasehold property will, I think, inherently be different from the market uh, for fee simple property. And actually, I, I would say this is a feature, not a bug. Mm. Um, for one, it should keep lease ninety nine year leases should be lower priced. I think just by market demand, which yeah. you know you in the real estate industry can tell me, right? You can confirm that that is in fact true. That leasehold properties are not as desirable as fee simple. And we see that empirically in Hawaii. We see that empirically in Singapore. Um, and so we can say to developers, we can say to those who really, you know, every single voter in Hawaii today, if you like your existing fee simple home, we are not going to degrade that home's yeah. value. In fact, it will probably appreciate dramatically. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are willing to pay a lot more for this differentiated product as opposed mm. to a leasehold product. And that's the experience of Singapore. In mm. Singapore, the fee simple homes have appreciated, you know, a home like the one, you know, that you might find in Kahala or in Hawaii Kai or Aina mm. Haina um, mm. would sell for well over $10 million in Singapore. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, if you're an existing homeowner, you like your existing fee simple property, relax. It will not go down in value. In fact, mm. it will greatly appreciate in value. Probably. And is your feeling that, uh, sorry to interrupt, but you, you, you feel that a lot of Hawaiians are living on the mainland because they, they, they can't afford to be in Hawaii. And that's the problem you're, you're sort of trying to provide solution for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, in, in Hawaii, we are very, um, maybe we're very conceited and we have the idea that everyone raised, born and raised in Hawaii would would if all you know, all things being equal wants to live in Hawaii for the rest of their lives right. and, and, and raise their kids in Hawaii? Yeah, um, you know it is a paradise. There are many advantages: mm. the weather, the scenery, you name it. I mean, you mm. you know you're in real estate. This yes. is what we all sell in the real estate industry. Yeah, the paradise that is Hawaii. Now people leave Hawaii in in great numbers. For the first time, we have had three straight years now of population decline, because every year we have a net exodus. For the first time in Hawaii history, a net exodus of thirteen thousand people a year leaving Hawaii for the mainland than people from the mainland coming to Hawaii. Right. 
So maybe it's, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, there's some people who certainly, you know, like uh, Marcus Mariota, right? He was someone who left Hawaii because he got a fantastic eco- economic opportunity on the mainland, and yeah. not because he couldn't afford to live here, mm. right? But I think a lot of people in Hawaii, w- the consensus would probably be that most people are leaving because the cost of living is just out of control. Mm. And the cost of living is out of control. And the cost of living is fundamentally driven by the high cost of housing. That is the largest mm. component of the cost of living. Mm. And it is one that that has relentlessly increased for decades um, to the point where people just no longer believe that affordable, abundant you know, housing for all is possible. Mm. And that's what, you know, Aloha Homes seeks to do is to, is to try to provide a framework that we can provide housing enough to meet demand for every generation of Hawaii people with these safeguards. No undeveloped land, no taxpayer subsidy, no wealthy overseas investors, you know, and, and so on and so on. I mean, there's many different intricate parts to the bill to try to address all the p- potential objections. And how is your initiative being received at the moment? Where is it all up to? So, um, you know, we've introduced the bill in the legislature um, last year and this year. Um, It's been, you know, we've gotten a lot of coverage. Um, We've held multiple conferences. We did a delegation to Singapore and to Hong Kong. Um, There's been, you know, uh, interviews, coverage in the press and so on. Um, YouTube videos, as you've seen. Mm -hmm. And... I think um, there's been kind of a, frankly, it's been surprising to me how much support there's been yeah. for an idea that is, as you called it, revolutionary. Mm. It is very radically different from anything that's been proposed in the United States before. Yeah. Right. You know, not only just creating enough supply to meet demand, I don't think that's ever been proposed in America before, but also, you know, for instance, opening it up to all buyers, regardless of income. Right. No income restrictions and no first-time homebuyer requirements. But the restriction I mean, would be, sorry to go back to it because obviously you can tell I'm not originally from Hawaii, <laughs> is the, um, the the restriction when you talk of locals, is it a certain amount of years that you would have had to live in Hawaii in order to be able to buy in? So I would not propose that, even though I think most people in Hawaii would like some sort of durational residency requirement. Yeah. The bill only has you only need to do three things be a hawaii resident be an owner occupant and not own any other real property Hmm. Hmm. so as you know you can be a hawaii resident the moment you step off the plane from california Hmm. but the reality is these units will take a very long time to build i mean years at a bare minimum and so you know i just don't foresee influxes of people who would be willing to fly here reside here for years and then, you know, in the hopes of buying one of these units three years down the line, because I can tell you, Sarah, that that is that is going to be the main concern of people in Hawaii. Right. The the the, the, the anti outsider yeah. buying real estate mentality is so strong yeah. that people are much, much, much more concerned about people moving here to take advantage of this opportunity than they are about the federal constitutional requirement that you cannot put a durational, that it is probably federally unconstitutional oh. to require a durational residency. Right. But you're saying in order to cheat the system, you'd really have to be quite committed to do so and, and you're not going to get the gains from it. Um, it really right. seems like you're setting it up for people who really do desire to want to live their life in Hawaii. Exactly. And then if, and, you they, know, another... if they would have to sell it, wouldn't they, by law? I'm sorry? If they do move, they would by law have to sell it, yeah? Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. 
that's pretty stringent. Mm. You know, um, and you cannot own any other real property, which means that if you, I mean, that pro- between being an owner occupant and not owning any other real property, I think that pretty much excludes every conceivable foreign investor. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right. So honestly, so that, do you think thirty one ten is going to pass? <laughs> do I think it's going to pass? You know, um, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not yeah. super optimistic, but you know, you never know around the legislature. Yeah. Um, but you know, that being said, the chance of any one bill passing is probably around 10%. So right. if it did pass that, that would surprise me, honestly, yeah. it would be in the, you know, it would have won the lottery. Well, and especially sort of now given, given the, the, the crisis the world is in, but, um, obviously that's, that's my opinion, but, um, it just seems to me like you, yeah, you, you're seeing this as an opportunity to open up dialogue that maybe ne- not necessarily this is the way that we should go, but it is a way to be heard. And if people do have strong feelings about the bill, that they, they should reach out and, and have, have their say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for those, again, with strong feelings who feel that a bill like this would be xenophobic or, you know, um, contrary to what, you know, the open, you know, or, you know, anti-economic development or whatever, you know, I would encourage you also to think about, well, what would it take to end the housing shortage in Hawaii? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I think you and I clearly agree that this, this will not. Right. So let's, you know, let's work together. If, if you have an alternative proposal that actually would end the housing shortage, yeah. please, please bring that forward. Yeah. Um, because the existing alternatives that we have are not attractive, Sarah, you know, yeah. I, I mentioned Houston earlier. Mm. It is a fact, right, that there are hundreds of jurisdictions across this country of which Houston is the most prominent that do not have zoning. Mm-hmm. They do not have land use regulation. Mm. So anyone can build any anything anywhere, basically. Yeah. Okay. So Houston, the median home price is 244000 Wow. Okay. Clearly, they do not have a housing shortage the no. way that we do. <laughs> yeah. Right. So one possible solution to the house to the housing shortage would be to deregulate land use completely. Which is probably what Paul no Brew, Paul Brubaker would probably agree with that. Just um, cross pollination, at least, of of zoning requirements. Well, it it would work, but I would I would say if you've lived in Hawaii for any length of time, if people were to propose, you know, just un uncontrolled, unfettered yeah, development no. of new subdivisions or new towers, <laughs> I, I think there would be, you know, I, I, I think there would be literally rioting. There would. I, I agree. Yeah. That, that's so the- that's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not politically realistic, Sarah, no. which is why we do. Ha- I mean, th- let, we have to think about ways that would be politically realistic that would actually solve the housing shortage to yeah. give young people, you know, a chance to live here. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like you need a lot of a lot of money up front for your initiative. I mean, how how many are you uh, planning on building? You know, I don't think we would actually need a lot of money. No. So you know, I mean, if we're starting with a sixty five thousand number, like mm-hmm. I said, there would be no subsidy, um, no taxpayer subsidy, and you know, if you know, just think about how anything gets built. You know, we would simply put out the state might put out an RFP and say, all right, private developers. You would be required to build this many units, you know, maybe have some minimum number of bedrooms in the units or some minimum number of specifications for these units mm. um, and, and a maximum ceiling price. And then you respond, you potential bidders respond. 
Yeah. Right. Wow. And you say, I, yes, I, you know, Stanley Chang development can, you know, uh, would be able to build these, you know, 65,000 units for a maximum price of this, you know, with all of these conditions attached. And then the state simply selects the best, you know, bid. And that's, you know, um, that's, you know, you don't need any type of upfront state taxpayer commitment at all because developers would build it like the way they build anything else with yeah. their own private financing. Wow. 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 Well, I, um, do you have any, any more comments or thoughts on the, on 3110 and the housing shortage? I mean, I, I, I do, I, I do think, you know, one area that we, that we haven't really talked about too much in depth, but I, I do, you know, I think, you know, maybe the, the most revolutionary part of the house of the Aloha Homes package that we've proposed, mm. the most controversial part, certainly, mm. um, I would say is actually the lack of any income restrictions. Right. Right. So in America, when we say public housing, yes. immediately yeah. we think of two things. We think of a low subsidized price yep. and a low income resident. Yep. Right. But well, first, we're not doing the subsidy, although we are doing a low price, a regulated price. Um, but we would remove any income restrictions whatsoever from the buyer. So if you, you know, if if you were Pierre Omidyar, Hawaii's wealthiest resident, <laughs> and you wanted to move into one of these units, right, you, you would be a Hawaii resident as long as you would be an owner-occupant and own no other real, real property, mm. you would be welcome. And is this so that you can have a sort of a, a wider community within? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if we just, so people, you know, people immediately, you know, if I were to ask you, uh, Sarah, should we restrict these units really to the people who need them the most, these low cost units to the people who need them the most, i.e. poor people? How would you, re how would you respond to that? Well, I would I would actually say no because yeah, you 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 are at the risk of creating some sort of projects or you know situation. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you think about it, just for a couple of seconds, you know we've tried that in this country. Yeah. You know, concentrated poverty, towers yeah. full of poor people. Yeah. Right. Income restrictions were that HUD, the federal agency that you know built public housing. Yeah. Still to this day has income restrictions on absolutely everything they do. Mm. Right. And and in the sixties and seventies, Pruitt Iago, Cabrini Green, that was the projects. Marcy right. Holmes, you know, concentrated poverty, violence, drugs, gangs. It was yeah. not a good situation. And so we do and, not. And, want and then to there's also incentive poverty. to remain poor in order in order to get in. Right. Mm. And you know, even on a bigger picture, um, the like I said, you know. There are voters and there are renters. Okay, yeah. if you were to throw in a first-time homebuyer restriction, basically none of the voters would qualify. Mm. Now, as a politician, Sarah, why would I do that? Mm. Why would I create a program that none of my voters would benefit from? That's that would just be political suicide. And if you just look at the successful public programs, the public services that are the biggest pieces of, for instance, the U.S. federal budget. Mm. Um, the three biggest pieces, pieces of the federal budget, by the way, are Medicare, Social Security, and defense, mm. right? And what do these things have in common? They're for everybody. Yes. Mm. No income restrictions, no means testing. 
Even Donald Trump qualifies for Medicare, Social Security and defense, which is why even Donald Trump has pledged that he will never cut Medicare, Social Security and defense. Look at our public schools. Another great example. Does DOE ask how much money you make when you enter our public schools? Does DOT ask how much money you make when you drive on our public highways? Does Parks and Rec ask how much money you make when you enter the public parks? No. Public services are for the public. They're for everybody. Yeah. And if Pierre Omidyar wants to live side by side with, you know, a bartender married to a bus driver. Mm. Isn't that what America is all about? Yeah, well... We're all equal in this great country. (laughs) On paper. (laughs) Well, we should should make that true in practice, too, like our public schools are, like our highways are, like our public parks are. Doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. The public parks are available for everybody. Super, super interesting. Wow. So, okay. Well, I mean, we're, we're rounding up to about 45 minutes. Um, so I just want to, um, yeah, if you have any closing comments or anything, it's been really interesting talking to you. Um, but yeah, any closing comments and also a way for people to connect with you so they can find out more about the Aloha Initiative. Sure. Um, so people can reach me anytime at senchang at capital.hawaii.gov. Our office number is 808-586-8420. And, you know, just in conclusion about the housing market, Mm. um, it's actually not that complicated, right? People act like housing is, you know, is not subject to the laws of supply and demand. But really, it's a market like any other. Mm. As long as supply and demand are in balance, we will have a healthy market. Mm. And so... um, you know, the Aloha Homes proposal is my proposal to produce enough supply to meet demand with all the restrictions to address all of the concerns and anxieties of the people of Hawaii. Um, but, you know, there are many other ways to do it. I would invite you, if you're serious about, you know, SB 3110, about vacation rentals, about any of these other issues, if you're interested, I would invite you to really put your thinking cap on it and think about what would it actually take to end the housing shortage that we so that we wouldn't need to go through you know the wars over issues like vacation rentals or foreign ownership yeah. that like you've pointed out don't really get to the heart of solving the housing shortage yeah that's really really important we just need to get supply to rise to match demand that's the only magic trick there is and will ever, ever will be because markets are powerful things and so um i hope that your listeners and viewers will um you know come forward with their innovative ideas to make that happen and just say they do someone you know has a visionary dream where they solve all the whole crisis who do they how do they present that and who do they present it to in order to be well i would I would love to talk to that person so like i said <laughs> they can reach me at senchang at capital.hawaii.gov 808-586-8420. You can Google me. You can you on my on YouTube. I've done a couple of different presentations. Um, you're, I would very much appreciate. Oh, oops, sorry about that. <laughs> right. Not sure what happened. Um, I I would really love to. I would really love to be in touch with anyone um, who who would like to, you know, talk about ways to solve this issue. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for just being so clear and open um, today to talk about this. And, you know, if anyone yeah, has any comments, please do reach out to Senator Chang about 3110, um, whether you are fully for, fully against, or you have some questions, and also about Aloha Initiative. Um, so thank you so much and, you know, just continue to be well and hopefully We'll all get back to normal sooner rather than later. (laughs) 
Thank you. And stay safe and healthy, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.